Hey guys, this is AC, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Yo, what's good, everybody? We are back with another episode for the podcast. Today, we got a four-man pod for you guys. I got with me AC. What is up, guys? I've got Aswi. Howdy how. And we have a returning guest, our resident jazz fan, Obinav. What's up, everyone? So today we thought we'd talk about some of the teams that didn't really live up to our expectations for the season. So these teams are going to be the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors, the Denver Nuggets, and the Dallas Mavericks. And of course, if you want to go and check out our earlier episodes where we preview some of these teams, that would be our first and second episode, I believe. Definitely go check that out to see our initial thoughts. But let's talk about the Boston Celtics real quick, guys. So, Oswe, I know you've been looking a bit into them. So, what do you what do you see so far? You know, I really love the fact that we're talking about the Boston Celtics and disappointment in the same sentence. <laughs> it's it's almost poetic for me, because as I recall, Boston Celtics fans were saying that their process worked and the Sixers' process didn't. Yeah, well, um, we're the number one team in the East, and where are you guys? Anyway, <laughs> here's the thing. The Boston Celtics are the sixth seed in the East with a 17 and 17 record. And while both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are controversially both all-stars, losing Hayward, I feel, has really hurt the team. And they just haven't looked the same as they have in, in previous years. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's a combination of that as well as Kemba just not being Kemba Walker. He's playing terribly right now. On top of Marcus Smart also getting injured. One of their best like defensive players. So losing him is also a pretty big blow to this team. You know, it, it's funny. At first, again, in our previews, I, I did mention that I didn't think the loss of Gordon Hayward was that big of a deal. But now that you've mentioned it, he he has provided a lot for the the Hornets right now this season and even last season he's a player who's capable of reaching that all-star level peak um I still stand by my my earlier statements where I thought to myself like they already had a abundance of great wing players and I felt that he was sort of clogging up that rotation a little bit but I do think you raise an interesting point that losing Hayward has definitely made it harder for the Boston Celtics offense to to run at what we've seen in the past yeah, with Gordon Hayward, you know, it's a classic case of the grass always being greener on the other side of the fence. And here, you know, all the Celtics fans were talking about all the things that Gordon Hayward wasn't doing for them, kind of neglecting the fact that he played hurt for most of the last four seasons with a series of really untimely injuries. But in his absence, it's extremely obvious that they miss that secondary creation that he provided for the team, the ability to have another guy beside Jalen and Jason who could guard a wing or provide some offense. And also just his passing, I think, is sorely missed on a, this team. It, it seems like so much of their offense is very stagnant to me whenever I watch them. I think another thing that I believe I'll be brought it up was Kemba Walker. You know, Kemba Walker just hasn't been the same after the injuries, right? Because he's played only 18 games, but all of his numbers are down. Points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game. He's shooting worse than he did previously. He's driving less than he did previously. And even his free throw attempts are down. 
So, as we've discussed on this podcast before, already he's extreme liability when it comes to defensively. But if he's not producing enough offensively, it's really hard to justify having him there for long minutes. But at the same time, what, what option do the Celtics have? Think about it. Marcus Smart also has been out. So they've lost his shooting too and his defense. And as a result, the Celtics are actually 22nd in the league in three points attempted. But really, it's just because they just don't have any good shooting this season. Jeff Teague is the only guy on the team who's shooting above 40% from three. Everyone else is like maybe 38, otherwise like a middling like 35 or lower. And in today's NBA, you just can't, you can't win anything if you're shooting that poorly. You know, it just feels to me when I watch them that there's, it, there seems to be a lack of execution, a lack of fight, and which begs the question then, at what point are we going to start to blame Brad Stevens? You know, this is a talented roster on paper, and I don't think he's getting enough out of them. And if this was anybody else in the league, I think he'd be getting a lot more heat than he is right now. You know, I, I look at it like too much of anything is a bad thing, and I feel like this team has too much of offense, really, with Kemba Walker. And I, I also think that they are sorely lacking, as we alluded to on the defensive end, with Kemba just being a giant liability. I do think this is due in part with the rise of Jalen Brown and just how good he's been offensively for the Celtics, as well as Jason Tatum still being the main scorer on that team, having a guy like Kemba Walker, who is, again, another guy who you can give the ball to, but it's someone who is going to be taking away shots from the two guys who are obviously, at this point, points in their career, better players than Kemba Walker. And yeah, also you said it best. Like he's not, if he's not providing anything on offense, then what is he really giving to you uh, as a whole? And he's just not that type of player for them right now. So I do think Kemba Walker has been severely disappointing this season. I've been saying this for years. Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge, they're incredibly overrated. A couple of years ago, weren't they talking about Brad Stevens as the best coach in the NBA? Well, what does he accomplish exactly? I'm, I'm waiting for someone to tell me. Oh, wait, nothing. Brad Stevens really should get a lot more blame than he has been. It, it's it's ridiculous that somehow he's still sticking around and, and the guys around him are getting the blame for everything. Usually it's the coach who gets the axe first, right? You make the point of bringing up Danny Ainge. I still think that I'm not sure what move there was that he should have made. And I still think he landed the two biggest and most important picks that the team had in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But at some point, you got to think that he squandered his assets to some degree because now you're looking at a team which doesn't have that much future flexibility and doesn't have this trove of assets they used to have. And I'm not really sure what they can do to get past the teams that are at the top of the East Besides these two guys, you know, just getting better and becoming even more of stars. But I mean, how much what how much better can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown really get? I mean, how close are they to their ceiling? Do you guys think there's a chance they could go to their level? Because if not, I'm not really sure what they can do. I think the biggest limitations of their game are their limited playmaking ability. I thought that was an issue even before the season. Now they've definitely improved significantly on that, but even still, I, I just feel like at the end of the day, it seems like, you know, the, the Celtics are actually the third. They were the worst team in NBA team average fourth quarter margins. 
Only recently, they got bumped all the way up to third worst. And I feel it's kind of because of who Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are as players. They just may not be good enough playmakers. And if you think about it, they still resort to iso ball a lot more than killing people by just a lot of good ball movement when it comes to the end of the game. And the only way that that kind of iso ball will work is if you're a talent to a, another level that can just elevate the team, which I just don't think these guys are that. I mean, to your point, Oswee, I don't think either of these guys can be considered, you know, top 10 players. And I'm not even sure they'll ever be top 10 players. No, that's maybe a bit harsh on a guy, especially like Jason Tatum, who, who is still really young. But whoa, his whoa, shot whoa. selection you, is... You, just, you realize that you, you just incurred the wrath of all of Boston because you slandered Jason Tatum's name. You said he might not ever be a top 10 player. Are you kidding me? Boston is probably riding right now as we speak. He just doesn't seem to have great shot selection or decision making at the end of games. And it's a little bit hard to to rate his performance this year because he has suffered from COVID. And, it, and he's mentioned in interviews that he hasn't been the same since. He's having trouble with his wind. He's also just having trouble, you know, playing the kind of big minutes that he wants to play. So maybe that's a factor here, but I just, he's, he's good enough that you can say that he has the potential to be a top 10 player, but I'm not sure he's shown that he definitely will be one. And that's a problem for Boston. Like one more thing, just to add to that really quickly. I don't think that he should have been an all-star this year. I said that in our all-star picking episode, I think that Boston did not deserve two all-stars. And I think Jalen Brown has played significantly better than him on both ends. He shot the ball significantly better. Now, now granted, Jason Tatum is usually option number one and gets the opponent's best defender, but I don't think he's been good enough to be sort of the shoe and all-star that he's he's almost like pencil in because always Jason Tatum, but I don't think that he's achieved that status that we should just assume that regardless of his team record, he should just be an all-star. Let alone an all-star starter. Let's not forget that. Right, right. He got promoted when Ke- Kevin Durant couldn't make it. He, now he's somehow an all-star starter, which... Which is surprising. And that might have been purely a vote thing, but I, I don't know what the basis of that was. That's disrespect to Jalen Brown right there. Oh, yeah, well, you can blame the Boston fans who voted for him then. <laughs> I also just wanted to add that I don't think the addition of Tristan Thompson has been really impactful for the Celtics. I don't really see him do too much. And I don't know. I just feel that it, like what he's brought to the table just hasn't been enough, and it's not going to fix all the Celtics problems. I think the Celtics need a real playmaker and they should probably try to shop Kemba to get one. Maybe someone that they could like look to get um, on the team might be Alonzo Ball. They could really use his defense and his playmaking. And, and I do think Alonzo Ball can be had. I, I mean, I'm not sure that they're committed to Alonzo long term on that team. So that, that's somebody they could potentially get if they wanted him. But I'm not sure that he also would solve all their issues either. I do think they need a real playmaker. The absence of Kemba has shown that how important that is. But Kemba, as we talked ha- talked about, has legitimate defensive issues. Maybe that is the the move they should make, trading away Kemba. But I, I'm just not sure that what value he has right now. The guy's barely played. He hasn't proven that he can stay healthy now for a couple of seasons. So you'd be trading him where his value is at its all time low. But you know that being said, I do think they you know. There's a lot of myths about the Celtics really needing a big, and I agree that Tristan Thompson hasn't been great for them. But I think the combination of Thompson plus uh, Daniel Tice plus you know the Williams Williamses together like that that could work. 
I think their bigger problem is playmaking. And I, I think you hit the nail on that. That's what they really, really need on this team. All right. So, Anushan, what about your Raptors? What's going on with them? <laughs> Man, <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's, it's something. I'll tell you that much. I mean, the Raptors, they're coming off a very good season from last year where they finished 53 and 19. Currently, they're sitting at a record of 17 and 17. Uh, effectively tied for fifth in the East with the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. So I guess we're all in that same pool of just being tragically bad right now. Um, I don't know. Like when, when I look at the Raptors, it just seems that from before they were a team that boasted an impressive second best defense in the NBA from last year. This year, they've kind of seemed to lose that defensive identity. I mean, now they're ranked 14th in the NBA, allowing 110 uh, points against them which is ironically kind of good given that that's eighth in the league but that's also because offense is just so much more rampant right now than it's ever been and of course like it's not good enough if it's not translating to wins right yeah Anu, i mean i actually think that their record is completely understandable given the injuries they've suffered this season right so you know kyle lowry has been in and out of the lineup and, and frankly they've been able to win in spite of them, especially recently. They've been on a tear and they're a team that's playing in Tampa Bay, which I know that like there aren't that many fans in a lot of these arenas, but there is something odd about them being located in a completely different, not, not even just a different state, but a different country than they should be. Right. And they don't have any sort of home support at all. And then I think, look at this team. They're, they just started getting it going. Nick nurse decides, you know what? I'm going to stop playing these centers that are underachieving. I'm going to play my best five guys. He moves Siakam to the center. He plays Norman Powell, and, and, he, and Norman Powell is playing really well as a starter. And Nobis having a great season. Van Vliet statistically may not look that great, but he's actually really um, you know, doing all the little things, you know, playing great defense, taking charges. And it was all set up perfectly for Lowry to come back and then we're going to run. And then the whole team basically contracts COVID. All the coaches were ruled out, and they almost had to play the game with Kyle Lowry being a player coach. And that was actually the thing that was being contemplated before the game was canceled. So it just seems like the season from hell to me. So I don't know how fair it is to just look at them as a disappointment, maybe relative to last season. But given the circumstances, you know, it's kind of remarkable they're even at 500. I think that's very fair. I think I am suffering a little bit from, I think, kind of the curse of your team sort of just being so good for so long. I know that our co-host Runga could probably attest to that for from being a Spurs fan for so long <laughs> and then sort of having disappointing seasons as of late, right? So I know it works the other way, too, because my, my Knicks have been so bad for so long <laughs> and everyone in New York is over the moon about this team right now. And rightfully so. It's been amazing. The Knicks only have one more win than the Raptors and the Celtics do, yet they're like being celebrated. It's all about <laughs> expectations, right? So our expectations couldn't have been lower. Yeah, no, I, and I, I agree, right? So when I look at it, I mean, this is a team that's two years removed from an NBA championship, right? And then if you think about it even further, it's sort of like one year removed from almost being Eastern Conference finalists. It just took a couple of lucky possessions for us to beat the Celtics in a game seven. So, again, like a lot of the modern day Raptors fans who don't really know the struggle of, you know, the Chris Bosch, Andrea Bargnani era when we were just so bad, like laughably bad, uh, early DeMar DeRozan uh, years. <laughs> I know Avi could attest to that because he used to also watch the Raptors with me uh, during those times. So painful, 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 painful. 
so yeah i mean um it, it's tough when you come from those winning situations and now you're sort of we're, i mean we're still in the hunt but we're still struggling through it right so um it's it's hard to to watch as a fan really well, don't expect any sympathy from me. You guys got your championship <laughs> in dramatic fashion a couple of years ago. Welcome back to mediocrity. Wow. The cold Sixers fan hating on everybody. <laughs> so, Anushan, let's get a little bit more specific. You mentioned the decline in defense. What specifically on that end are you seeing that's leading to this? So, it definitely isn't large part with losing uh, Serge Ibaka and Marcus All. I just don't think that the team right now has enough size to deal with these like gigantic, really imposing players such as like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, guys in our conference who we have to go through and we don't have the personnel right now to deal with that. I also think that teams are starting to slowly adapt to the sort of gimmick trap defense that Nurse really likes to run. It's It's being found out and more coaches now are starting to even adopt it and like start to model their defenses after it as well. And currently right now, as the center position stands, the center position is non-existent. And you said it earlier with Pascal Siakam having to be moved into that, that spot. And yes, I, I do think the Raptors are starting to play a little bit better because they're utilizing Siakam in that way. But he's not a center, right? He is a forward. And I have a lot to say on Siakam for sure, but I mean, we can get into that further. But the guys who are currently in the, the center position are our starting center, Aaron Baines, who's been absolutely atrocious this season. And you have Chris Boucher, who started off the season well, but now he's sort of cooling down, coming back to planet Earth, and sort of playing at that level that a lot of people around the league saw him as, right? So I do think that having a lack of depth at that position has really hurt. And it's going to hurt a lot more when we get in, if we do get into the playoffs, having to deal with the Joel Embiid's and the Giannis's of the world. You know, Anushan, I have to say, it's nice knowing that Joel Embiid is no longer the most disappointing Cameroonian in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I would have thought it the other way around. But hey, I'm happy how it worked out. Yeah, I mean, speaking of <laughs> the disappointing Cameroonians, I think this is the biggest issue that Raptors fans have had to deal with for a long time. It's Siakam and his regular inconsistencies. I mean, again, as we talked about personally, I think he's been playing well recently, but it's not the level of a superstar that we've sort of painted him out to be. I mean, just look at it this way, right? This season, he's shooting awful from three, 29.5% and 45.3% from the field. And also, wow. like, when you look at this guy when he's dribbling the ball, he's amongst this group of, of players who are considered to be, like, point forwards, ball handlers. But he's the only guy that, when I see him with the ball, I'm genuinely scared to see what he's going to do with it. Because he only really knows how to do one move, the, the Julius Randle Beyblade spin. That's his really only move <laughs> on the, the floor. And at the same time, he's really clunky with the ball in his hands. He's very turnover-prone. He looks like he's never dribbled the basketball in his life. Um, and It's just not been good because he's a guy that we've put a lot of our time into. We've kind of formulated the offense around him, and now it's sort of been given to Fred Van Vliet. So, like, I don't know what Siakam is truly becoming. If he's not going to be a guy who's going to be a consistent ball handler, and he's also not a guy who's great at playing off the ball because the jump shot's not there, then what are you really getting with him, right? 
No, that's a great point, Anushana. And I wonder now, what is his ceiling as a player, in your opinion? I mean, for me, I, I, I tend to see a lot of the potential that a player has. And it's you can't teach that sort of size and that length at 6'9", and that ability to move, right? There's not many guys in the league who have those capabilities. So I'm still high on Siakam, and I, I want him to succeed and do well. But I, I think he's sort of regressed, really. He's not the player that he was in the 2019 championship run. Like, I thought he was really good that season as sort of a, a starter, a, an important piece, and a role player. But when he's given the responsibility to be a superstar, or an all-star at the very least, he hasn't really shown that he's capable of that yet. And I think it's really telling with the way he's playing. Yeah, just to like go off of that, I just feel that in the 2019 season, he was probably like the best second option that the Raptors could have had. He was excellent in that role, but I just don't think as a superstar, he has what it takes. And I don't know. I just don't think that Siakam is the guy that you can reliably say can be the number one option on, on a championship contending team. Can he be an all-star? I do think so. I I think he has that potential. Yeah, and, and again, I think this is all due in part with him just not being or having a respectable outside jump shot. Teams can play him and they, they can they can play him for what he they know he's going to do. Just go drive to the basket, do his patented spin move, and teams are prepared for that now. It's not something that teams will just be like, okay, like you can you can go ahead and do that. No, we're gonna stop you. And the way to sort of balance that is to have a jump shot to keep defenses honest. And when you're not able to do that, teams are going to sag off. They're going to play you for what they know that you want to do. So I got a question for you. So your team is 17 and 17, and they look like they were surging and potentially could have ended up as, you know, a top four seed. That seemed realistic a few days ago. Now we don't know what the impact of COVID is going to be on this team. We don't really know what the future is going to hold either. I mean, I think it's fair to say that maybe they're not legitimate contenders and maybe they won't be for a couple of years to come, which then begs the question, what are you going to do with Kyle Lowry? I mean, it's rumored that the, the Raptors have told him that he can look and see what's out there on the on the trade market. And, and if there's a team that he's interested in, and there's rumor, he's rumored to Philly, he's rumored to Miami, he's rumored to the Clippers. You know, that's a guy who, for your team, has been really, in many ways, a symbol of your franchise. So trading him away has a lot more. It's not just about the X's and O's and whether or not, you know, you guys are going to be competitive going forward. There's also the fact you're trading away based on the face of your franchise. But on the other hand, he's also a free agent in this offseason. And unless you're willing to actually pay him, it seems likely to me that he'd want to leave. So what are you what are you guys going to do? I think we're kind of put in this position where we had the chance to do right by one of the guys who sort of paved the way for our franchise. Something we should have done with DeRozan, to be honest with you, because we really didn't do right by him. And I mean, you can see it with the Raptors fans now. It's something that we we all regret. We all still love DeMar DeRozan and we hold that sort of hate. <laughs> I don't want to say hatred, but there's some sort of hatred towards Messiah for you know doing that to him. And I feel like with Lowry... As far as a fan goes, I I appreciate him enough to let him do what he wants to do. I would love if the if management would just be like, okay, you know what? If you want to go to a specific place, like yes, let's get a package for you and we'll get you going there. It it, it does sort of sting a little bit that we would be sending him to another contender in the East. So I've heard a lot of the the Philly trade talk rumors about Lowry wanting to go there. 
it would be annoying that he's going to go to a team that we've been competing with for so many years. But again, I feel that he's he deserves that sort of um, diligence towards what he's done for the city. So I would be totally fine with him just being traded. And even if he wants to walk in the offseason, like that's fine with me, too. I don't think it's worth repaying him all that money to keep him anyway. He should look for a place that he wants to look and win. So I'm totally fine with it. Well, I hope we get Kyle Lowry. (laughs) Well, guys, we are lucky to be the rare podcast that is fans of multiple teams. And we just happen to have a Sixers fan and a Raptors fan. So guys, can a Kyle Lowry trade happen? Now, before you guys tell me your proposals, set on the record that Kyle Lowry makes a lot of money, makes $30 million a year. And you have to match that salary if you're a team that's over the cap like the Philadelphia 76ers are. So it's going to take considerable salary. It's one of the reasons that teams like the Clippers can't easily trade for Kyle Lowry. So considering we'll, we'll actually use the ESPN's official trade machine to make sure whatever we propose is legal, what do you guys got? And I should mention that I'm throwing you guys totally on the spot here. There's no uh, pre-planned anything here. <laughs> so what do you guys got? All right. I, I put it into the trade machine. And this is the offer I'm proposing to you. For Kyle Lowry, I'll give you Danny Green, Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson, Tony Bradley, and Matisse Thibel. Damn. Oh, that's that's pretty interesting. Funny enough, the Tony Bradley (laughs) uh, option is really interesting to me because we do need some bigs over here for the Raptors. Uh, Wow. Tony Bradley would be the deciding factor. Come yeah, on yeah, now. but like, <laughs> <laughs> I know for a fact I'm not going to be able to get Ben or any of these other big guys. So yeah, yeah, don't 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 kid yourself, all right? There's there's no fucking way it's not going to happen. So let me tell you why this is good, okay? Mm. Kyle Lowry, thirty point five million, right? Mm-hmm. Danny Green, one year left. Mike Scott, one year. Ferguson, one year. Bradley, one year. Matisse, three years. Basically, you can clear. About twenty mil off your, or twenty eight mil off your books, in a year, and you'll still have Matisse, who is a great, elite upon elite defender. I think that's uh that's uh it's a win win. Yeah, no, I I like the I like Maxi, I like uh, Diable. I didn't I didn't offer hey I did offer Maxi. Oh, you I, didn't I, offer Maxi. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. Say say your this offer. This is one purely. One Okay, okay. They offer one more time for me. Da- Danny Green. Okay. Mike Scott. Mm-hmm. Terrence Ferguson. Tony Bradley. And Matisse Thibel. Now, this is purely a move to clear your books and give you a great defender. Sorry, elite defender. Is Kyle Lowry coming home to Philly? Honestly, I, I want Maxi as well. I, I don't want to care about Terrence Ferguson. I'd rather have Maxi. Ah. <sighs> Because I've seen the kid play. The, the dude can ball. Terrence Ferguson barely plays for you guys, right? Like, he's, he's a literal scrub. <laughs> yeah, I'm just clearing out all the guys from the bottom of the roster. <laughs> but let's say, okay. Even even if we... Even if... Okay, so if I if I take Ferguson out and I put Maxi there, all right? Mm-hmm. Now you got... You, you have some future potential... With Maxi, because he could be your new Kyle Lowry moving forward. He, he's a great kid. 
a lot of people thought he would have been drafted a lot higher than he was. And he's great on defense. He's a very nice floater. He's he's a gutsy player for sure. And then with Matisse, you get an elite upon elite defender that even if you don't keep him, I'm sure somebody would want him. So he's a good trade asset. And then the other three guys, you won't have them long anyway. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, of course, if you had some picks to throw in there, that'd be the final thing for all me. Right, yo, 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 yo. Don't don't get greedy now, all right? Do you even have picks to offer? I don't even know if they do. We, we do have picks, but are we going to make a Godfather offer for Kyle freaking Lowry? Kyle's on an expiring, so it's not like you're getting a guy who's committed for three years. So. Exactly, exactly. So don't, 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 get, don't get greedy here, all right? Well, hey, I'm giving you the future with Maxi. I'm giving you elite defense with Thibault. You're getting Danny Green back. Who knows? Maybe he'll... He'll help you guys this season, and uh, <laughs> okay. then you walk away from his salary after that. He well, won't okay. help in the playoffs. I know that much. Yeah, he won't do anything in the playoffs. That's Danny Green's <laughs> motto. <laughs> Danny Green, but, come uh, on. You guys are the ones who have a window to actually win this year. I don't think we really have that. And if, Yeah, that's <laughs> why I'm giving you a piece for the future. Yeah, but future for, you know, when? Like, <laughs> how long into the future? You have the opportunity to win right now. We're giving you that piece that could help you get over the, the hump. Yeah, but realistically, if we don't have this deal, who knows? Maybe Kyle Lowry just will, will walk and then he'll join us anyway later. I don't know. We're trying to help you out here, all right? All right, Andrew, you have uh, you have to tell us now. Is that a deal or no deal? All right, we'll take it. We'll take it. Pleasure doing business with you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. <laughs> I mean, to to be entirely honest, I do think this would be a great trade if this really happened, because I think it would it would serve both teams well. I don't think that Toronto has any kind of window in the near future. On the other hand, Philly, I just think they need another playmaker, and I I think Kyle Lowry can help them in so many ways. He's an elite defensive guard. He has tremendous leadership. He doesn't make mistakes. He's the kind of guy who will just like even when he's doesn't have the ball in his hands. He's setting picks for people. He'd be a, another guy who can make a three-point shot on a team that needs shooting. And he would easily be their best pick-and-roll creator from the perspective of even scoring, which obviously Ben Simmons does not bring. So I think if you have if you roll into a playoff series with Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, boy, they could take on anybody with that roster. Mm, I would love it. I would love I it. I agree with everything you just said. But Kyle Lowry not making mistakes? I don't know about that. <laughs> he showed up a lot of those mistakes he used to make back in the day. But um, no, I, I agree with you, AC. And I've seen it many times. Kyle Lowry, he finds a way to get stuff done. He knows how to, to win at the highest level in this league. And he's a competitor. He's a dog, right? I think he adopt. I mean, he's from Philadelphia, too. So he has to adopt the, the Philly mindset of that blue-collar hard work. You know what I mean? So... Definitely a guy that would fit extremely well on that roster. Just to clarify, I'm talking about defensive mistakes. I'm not talking about how he disappeared and had to go to the bathroom in playoff series and things like that. <laughs> right. I'm just talking, I'm just talking about okay, he's not going to beat you defensively. So he fits the Phillies, Phillies identity as just being this amazing defensive team, one through five. And he would really fit right in. He's a bulldog on that end. Yep, no doubt. You know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, I used to refer to Lowry and DeMar DeRozan as Costco superstars. And now here I'm on a podcast talking about how I want to trade basically our entire bench <laughs> just to get Kyle Lowry because I feel like he would really be 
a legit piece that could make us contenders to win the championship. Uh, I mean that that just shows the the growth and 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 development of Kyle Lowry as a player because he finally was able to get over the hump. Yeah, mind you, he didn't have to face LeBron, but still he had to get over that hump and he did and he played very well in the finals. So I think he deserves the respect he's getting now. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I also want to add that they would still have someone like Seth Curry coming off their bench, so they would still have like a good a good amount of bench scoring too and good bench production. With um uh, the big three of Lowry and Beat. Yeah, Simmons. that's a great point actually. I, I think Seth Curry would start in that situation, right? Because I mean, I really have good defenders all around him. I mean, can you think of anyone better? Like so Tobias, imagine... but then Tobias would have to go to the three. Where's Ben going to be? If, La- if Lowry's out there, so we're would... losing our three right now because that's what Danny Green is. So we yeah. need to get someone to play the three. I mean, I I think your three is like the three slash four are, are Tobias and Ben. Yeah, there's like... something that matters. Like you imagine you have if you have a pick and roll with Joel Embiid and Kyle Lowry, you know, with I don't know some kind of off ball action for with Ben Simmons setting a screen for either Seth or Tobias, and that's going to be really difficult for even the best teams to guard. So. I think I think yeah. that's just your five best players, and I think they can play together. I, I think you're going to need Seth Curry shooting in a lineup like that. I, I think in general, the Sixers look so different when Seth Curry plays. Not to make not to get too much into the Sixers, which we'll definitely have a bot on soon. But oh yeah. So guys, why don't we move on to the Western Conference? So the Western Conference had two teams that all of us thought would be really good this season. One of those teams actually was in the conference finals as recently as last year. And that's the Denver Nuggets. What on earth has happened to the Denver Nuggets? Jeremy Grant leaving. I think that's him and with Torrey Craig leaving as well. Their defense just has not been the same. Because going back to um uh, their series against Utah, there were games where Jeremy Grant would guard um Mitchell. And I think not having, you know, someone reliable to be able to guard um uh, the best player on the opposing team is definitely going to hurt Denver, especially when guys like Murray and Jokic aren't good defensive players either. So there's no one to kind of pick up their slack, defensively at least. You know, that's a great point that you make, Abby, about Jeremy Grant and, and Torrey Craig. With Grant, he showed traces of being able to be a player who could create for himself. And maybe it wasn't what the offense was predicated on, but they could sort of lose that that scoring punch and that three-point shooting ability. And if you look at what he's doing in Detroit right now, he's playing out of his mind. He's putting up career highs in his scoring. His assist numbers are up. He's still that same sort of defensive player who's uh, an elite defender. So Jeremy Grant has definitely made that leap, and not having him definitely hurts to an extent. And again, Torrey Craig's another forward, and... It's always nice to have an abundance of versatile forwards who can do a lot of different things for you. Like, he's a decent defender. He could space the floor out a little bit, too. So, yeah, losing those two guys is going to hurt you for sure. It's funny because we actually all discussed how Jeremy Graham was a bit overpaid, getting, you know, $20 million from the Detroit Pistons. But he's actually weirdly lived up to that. And I, I still wouldn't pay for that much money for a guy like Jeremy Graham. But he's actually earning his money, at least so far. He's showing some level of offensive creation, which I didn't know he had in his bag. And defensively, you're absolutely right, Abhi, that he his absence is, is sorely felt. This wasn't an elite defensive team, even with him and Craig, and even a guy like Mason Plumley, who you know we all kind of laugh at, but he did provide some rim protection for that team. 
right now they have literally zero interior defense and zero defense of any kind of big forward. So their wing defense is, is sorely lacking and they have no real shot blocking. So no matter how crazy our guy Nikola Jokic is playing, it's just not enough if they're going to you know bleed so many points every night. I was just going to say like another thing that I feel really hurts this team is Jamal Murray being very, very, very inconsistent because there are just some nights when he'll have crazy games and he'll put up 30, 40 points and other games where he just disappears and he has horrible efficiency. He'll shoot numbers like five for 20 or something or like things crazy like that. And I think his lack of consistency, if he's not going to be a good defensive player, then he needs to make it up on offense. And if he's not doing that, then it's just not going to work, especially when they have other defensive liabilities such as MPJ, just not living up to the hype. I totally agree about Jamal Murray. I mean, this guy, we talked about this in our preview pod when we discussed the Denver Nuggets. And our co-host Runga said that he thought that Jamal Murray was a superstar based on his playoff performance. And what I said then was, oh, he's only a superstar if he can do it every night, not once in a blue moon or, you know, when everything's going right for him. And so far this season, he has proven once again, he's in the regular season, he can't even average 20 points per game in an era where it seems like everybody's averaging 20 points per game. He's just so incredibly inconsistent. And I really don't think there's any clear reason as to why he's struggling it just seems that he's taking almost all the same shots he took in the bubble but yeah he's just missing them and I, I don't really know what's going on with him but you know he's talked about how the short turnaround has affected him and maybe that's a really a reason or maybe it's just an excuse you know I don't know all I know is that he's never really been consistent regular season player in his entire career and that doesn't look to be changing right now and with their with the absences that you mentioned on defense, they really need their offense to be in top gear, and it just isn't. It's just Jokic single-handedly carrying this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That being said, though, I would not want my Jazz to meet these guys in the playoffs. Absolutely not. After what <laughs> happened like like last time, I still have nightmares about it, to be honest with you. So, no, I definitely don't want that again. I mean, you guys were a shot away from winning, you know, Game Seven, and not only not to mention, you guys were up three-one, so it was an unbelievable loss. I, I can imagine that being really painful. As someone who's experienced three-one blown leads by the Knicks in the '90s, uh, in a series in which our our team was suspended, <laughs> so it wasn't even our fault. <laughs> so I, I can relate, though, about how how scarring it can be. What, what about Nikola Jokic, guys? I, mean, I mentioned briefly that he's been playing well. What have you seen from him this year? Dude, it's such a shame because, I mean, I love that Joel Embiid is probably right now the MVP favorite. But if you really think about it, Jokic really deserves to be there because he's been playing so well. And it's just the team around him has totally underperformed. And you need to have a better record if if you're going to be competing for the MVP, especially if you're in the West. And I don't know. I just feel bad for him. I think Jokic um, has been scoring a lot better than he has been. And that's something that I really like to see because one thing that I never liked about Jokic was I feel that he couldn't take the game over when he really needed to. But he's been doing that a lot more now. It's just that the team around him, they're just not as consistent. And even if he plays amazingly, basketball is just um, a game that you can't win with just one person. So it's tough for Jokic. I mean, that's an awesome point you made about Nikola Jokic. I've also felt the same way. It's not that he's not clutch. He's always been a very clutch player, even statistically. It's just that his skill level is so high 
that you expect him to dominate the game more offensively, especially with his scoring. And this season, he's finally doing that. And he's proving that he's completely unguardable. He can post you up because he's ridiculously strong. And then at the same time, he can take you off the dribble. He can hit threes at an extraordinarily high rate. If you double him in any way, shape, or form, he's an unbelievable passer who can make the kind of passes that, honestly, no other big man has ever made. I mean, even including the likes of Arvidas Sabonis or Vlade Divac or Chris Webber, none of these guys could make this level of passes. So he's finally living up to his full offensive potential, and it's awesome to see. I totally agree with you, AC. I mean, let's put it simply like this, right? When your center is a triple-double threat almost every single night, that's saying something, right? It's He's so impactful on that side of the ball. And on top of that, like Abi and you have said, he's become a lot more aggressive in wanting to take over games and wanting to win the games for his teams. And it seems like he just he cares more about the results of how they're doing during the regular season. Um, now, this may not be insofar like as something that has directly to do with the game, but there was an instance where he got extremely mad at a referee because he felt that he wasn't getting calls and he felt that the referee was sort of kind of mocking and laughing at him for him complaining about the state of the game and why he wasn't getting calls. So it's just stuff like that that shows me that, he, look, like this is a guy who wants to win and he's upset about not winning. So having that sort of attitude when it comes to the game of basketball and not just sort of being leisurely and being like, oh, okay, whatever, like that's going to go a long way for him. And I feel like if they do get into the playoffs and they get a decent like playoff berthing where they're going to be like that in that fourth, fifth seed, they're going to be a problem for whoever they play. Not if they play defense the way they're playing right now, though. I mean, they I, they really do miss both Craig and also obviously Jeremy Grant. And you look at the the West forwards, there's just so many talented forwards that you have to go through. And I don't, I don't even think they have anyone to really guard the likes of like, you know, say they face Donovan Mitchell or Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. I don't think they have anyone to put on those kind of guys either. So they're really in, in, struggling outside of obviously Gary Harris, who's been pretty inconsistent this season. So... I, I I really don't know what they're going to do defensively. I think they need to really explore the trade market and see if they can add something to this team. So what about Dallas, guys? Because that's another team that has another player who has a superstar who's doing incredibly well and putting up ridiculous numbers, but they just don't seem to be getting those wins. So what have you guys seen? I think Porzingis probably is a big factor to that. I mean, he's been injured for a lot. He's only played 18 games. I think this year his defensive liability is really showing. And as a result, the Mavs are seriously struggling. Guys, I have a hot take. Oh, cue the hot take alert. Hot take alert. Everybody thinks that as a Knicks fan, I must be bitter about Porzingis. You are. Well, the reality is I am bitter about it because this guy couldn't even stay four years before he quit on our city. I get it. Yes, we booed him when he drafted him. And I get it. We were incredibly incompetent and nobody would want to stay there. I get it. Whoop, whoop. He's still... Yeah, Christoph Porzingis. Whoop, but he, uh, he he totally decided to bail on us. So I definitely root against him. That being said, and you can check my group me receipts as proof of this. I said at the time he was traded, multiple things about this guy. Number one, 
he is not a good defender. There's a perception of him that he's a good defensive player because of his shot blocking ability. But there's more to defense than shot blocking. I think what's far more important is your ability to defend in space. And he can not do that. He's never been able to do that well. He struggles mightily in pick and roll defense. I'm not sure you could ever really have an elite defense if he's your anchor. The other thing is, he isn't a very good isolation player. And that matters because, and I mentioned this even in our Dallas Mavericks preview. I said, I don't think that this guy has what it takes to be the number two option on a championship team. And our co-host Nissel laughed at me and said, well, that says something about the NBA. If, if, if a guy as good as Porzingis you know, can't be your, your second best player. Well, the reality is your second best player needs to be able to generate offense himself. Porzingis, his offense comes from just standing on the three-point line and letting Luka create for him. He can't really punish switches as well as you'd want someone like him to be able to do, despite his 7-3 frame. He doesn't have a particularly great post game. He's not very refined that he can you know, punish a guard on the block or even off the dribble. So he's basically just a finisher. And if you're just a finisher and you're not even a great defensive player or maybe not even a good defensive player, and you have serious health concerns, I just don't think that a franchise can depend on you to be the number two guy, especially when the number one guy is as good as Luka Doncic. So that's my hot take. Well, AC, to that point, I mean, we got to take it in, in this way. Przingis is like a once-in-a-generation type of talent, right? Like, there's a reason a unicorn. why called right. the unicorn, right? I get it, yeah. He's a 7-3 power forward slash center, more so grew up playing power forward but effectively let's call him a center he can space the shoot from deep he space the floor like no other player of his size can of course yes it would be nice if he could go down low and use that size to actually punish switches punish mismatches but at the same time there are instances where i've seen many times when he's on down low on the block he can just face up and shoot over guys right so it, it's i think it's more so if he gets the opportunity to be put in those situations, because again, that's Luka Doncic's team, right? He's the one who runs all the offense. The ball's in his hands majority of the time when they're on offense. So I do think maybe it might not be the best fit to play with a guy like Luka, where Porzingis is probably better suited to be more involved in the offense. But you got to remember that this guy has a lot of upside. And again, unicorn for a reason, right? Yeah, I don't think that Rick Carlisle uses him properly. I think he would be a really good post scorer because he has the height to do it with the shooting, but he just stands on the um, the three point line, and I just feel that if Carlisle could you like could utilize him better, then I think Porzingis's value would be or his like ability to score and generate offense would be much better. You know, tonight the Mavericks and the Magic played right. Luca had thirty three points, ten rebounds, nine assists. 54 from the field, 50 from three-point. He had five threes. Meanwhile, Porzingis, 17 and 10, but he was 33 from the field and three of 10 from beyond the arc. If you're that big, why why are you sitting out? This is the same shit that I saw with Embiid. It's like, you're that big. Why are you that far out? You could just come in a little closer and still shoot over anybody. It's (laughs) ridiculous, man. Yeah, like I I just don't get it. Sometimes I wonder if he's, like, scared of the contact. Like, he's scared of banging down with a bunch of these other guys. Like, it, it is very strange to me. I do think he's he's adopted this, uh, well, it sounds kind of odd to say, but the European sort of big man style of play, right? Where yeah. Where they just want to stay yeah. out and just shoot. So, like, 
I don't know. It's just weird. Honestly, it's crazy because if you think about him as a young player, when I think of young Porzingis, it was him kind of like coming into the lane and, and yamming it over people on an offensive rebound. And to think that now he's just relegated to this Sam Perkins-esque stand on three-point line, <laughs> jack-up threes kind of player, it seems like a real waste of his ability, even though obviously by doing that, he still gives spacing. The funny thing to me, though, as a Knicks fan is everybody killed us when we traded Porzingis. And yes, I know we got a terrible return. I mean, the guy demanded out and I, whatever. We could have probably gotten a better return. Yes, we did do a good job. But it's so funny to me that now apparently the Mavs are, are shopping Porzingis. So I, I guess, you know, maybe we didn't make such a bad trade after all in the sense that this guy's 7-3. He has major flaws in his game. And the most important thing is the track record of 7-3 guys with foot injuries, staying healthy, is really, really poor. So I'm not, you know, think about guys like Ogalskis, Yao Ming, Rick Smiths. It goes on and on and on. So I don't know about him long term. So we talked a lot about Przingis and bashed him rightfully so, but there has to be some other issues going on with this team, right? What else you guys got? So one thing is I think they're using Luka a little bit too much like Houston used to use James Harden in that everything is going through him and he's controlling the game and he's not quite as much of a a, a dribble the air out of the ball guy as Harden was, but he still does that quite a bit. And yes, he makes amazing raids just like Harden can. In fact, I think Luka's even a level above him as a passer. In fact, there's almost no one else I would compare to him in terms of his passing. That's how good he is. But I do think that it, it's it's having the effect of overtime. It's it's wearing them down, and it's leading to teams starting to figure them out a bit. This is a team that was the number one rated offense last season, and as of today, they are only the number eleven ranked team. Now, granted, they had some injuries, but I think some of it is how they're using Luca. Yeah, I was just gonna say I do also agree that they use Luca way too much, and they're not making um, the other mouse players beat them. I think another thing is their defense just isn't too good because you have guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. out there. And like I said before, with um, some of the other Nuggets players like Murray and Michael Porter Jr., that if they're not beating you on offense and they're not consistently good on offense, then it's really going to hurt them because Hardaway Jr. just cannot play defense. And I just feel that teams are just going to attack him every single time. To your point, Abi, they are actually currently the 25th ranked defense in the NBA and the only team that I would even consider a contender that's lower than them is Brooklyn. But then, of course, Brooklyn is the number one offense by a mile. <laughs> so they have serious problems on that end. And one of the things, the calculations that they made as a team was, well, if we get Josh Richardson to replace South Curry, we'll shore up our defense a little bit and not lose that much offensively. Well, neither thing has happened. Their defense has actually declined, if anything. And offensively, Josh Richardson just isn't providing the level of spacing and reliable three-point shooting that you, that you get from Seth Curry. And I think they really, really miss him. I don't. I don't miss Josh Richardson on our team. So enjoy, Dallas. Uh, yes. Uh, also, he did, did mention how much he had a little bit of a distaste for Josh Richardson from his Philadelphia year. So Yeah, well, I, I've, always, I've always respected Josh Richardson when he was down in Miami, right? But the problem was it just didn't work with us. And I wished him well in Dallas. But it's funny because recently we beat the Mavericks and Seth Curry said it was a bad business decision for them to ship him to the Sixers. 
which I agree was an excellent business decision by us to get him. First of all, that's amazing. I also love when guys who get traded get their like their revenge or you know they get something out of it. Yeah, yeah, throw that shade. It's yeah. Awesome. There, there needs to be more of that kind of stuff happening in the league. It's but beautiful. I mean, we can have a whole discussion about how soft the league is right now. I know us, we and I have talked. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. Yeah. But uh, that's a, a podcast for another time. But um, uh, yeah. Also, I wanted to add with Richardson. I feel like he was a great defender in his time with the Miami Heat. And to an extent, he was a good defender when he was with Philadelphia. And he, in in his Miami days, really, which is where he got a lot of his value, he was sort of this uh, kind of complete two-way player. Like, he could put the ball on the floor. He could score for you. Um, he even had a little bit of a three-point shot during that time. But he just seemed to really regress. And now he's like a former shell of himself. So... Like like you, Oswey, I do wish him the best because I did like Josh Richardson a lot during his Miami time. So I do hope for some sort of resurgence because I'm very sure Dallas went into that sort of with getting Josh Richardson with the idea that he provide a lot for their team. But so far, it's been pretty subpar. Basically, Daryl Morey had them. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. The only thing that's positive for them, though, is they are winning more recently. And I do think as much as we've shit on Porzingis, his return has helped them. And at least in that, there is some other threat out there that deserves some attention from the defense. So I, I know I, I still expect Luca to drag them to the playoff just because of his sheer talent alone. But I don't know how far they're going to get when they actually get there. Kind of off topic, but any thoughts on the recent Luca drama with him just sort of <laughs> acting like a total queen out there, just you know, complaining about every single thing that goes on on the basketball court? To me, when I watch Luca, he is a player who definitely deserves that sort of like superstar type treatment because he's an amazing talent, right? But at the same time, it's really gross to watch a player just consistently complain. And he's even been on record saying that he really shouldn't be doing this. He doesn't really know why he started doing this. But I, I just really want him to get out of that mold because he's an, he's a great talent and he should just let his game do the talking. And the calls will eventually come at, at some point, right? You don't need to complain about it. Like he's already gained to the free throw line numerous amounts of times. And it's just unsightly to see, from, especially from a young player too, who sort of has that idea about themselves. Like, yeah, I'm I'm the guy. I should be getting all this stuff for me. You know what I mean? Like for me, I, I don't like that scene that personally. You know, Anushan, it's funny you say that because before I noticed there was like a trend where he really had his way with the refs because, you know, they'd miss a call on him and he'd go over and kind of like give them a pat on the shoulder. Like, it's okay, buddy. I know you'll get me the next time. And I thought, wow, this guy's really endearing himself in the right way to the refs. And all of a sudden, boom, 180, he's now Luca Flopchich or something. <laughs> <laughs> Luca should take some hard lessons learned by his idol LeBron, who is one of the biggest complainers in the NBA and always kind of has been, because that's a guy who doesn't get the benefit of any whistles anymore. And I think, frankly, it's because of years and years of just bitching to the officials over and over again. If you look at drives per possession compared to free throw rate, LeBron is consistently amongst the bottom of all the stars in the NBA. And he, you know, he gets whacked and, and he actually really has a legitimate case to complain sometimes. I think it's because he's whined so much to the officials. I know that there's been stories in the past of this being something that affected Allen Iverson, something that affected Tim Duncan, two other notorious complainers. So, you know, you want to make an ally out of refs, not an enemy out of them. 
These guys definitely have some egos. It's it's like a classic case of like kids growing up too fast. He's he's too much of a veteran for his age. He's just yeah. <laughs> he's acting like he's LeBron James, but I mean he's playing on that like similar level right now in terms of the efficiency and the numbers. But you know you still have a ways to go, kid. So just calm down a little bit. So out of these four teams, which one do you have the most faith in to turn it around and actually make you know a deep playoff run or maybe even a title run? Oh, man. I mean, the fan in me wants to obviously say it, my Toronto Raptors. But, you know, to me, I think the player who, who might have the most impact might be, uh, you know, even that's hard because it might be between Jokic or Luka. But, you know, I'm going to go with the Nuggets because I do think that playoff Murray is a thing. So when he gets into the, the playoffs, he's going to be fantastic. So I'm going to say the Nuggets. Yeah, my pick is I would say the Boston Celtics. I just believe that not having Marcus Smart really hurts them because, as we talked about before, they lost his leadership, his three-point shooting, and his defense. And when he comes back, I think he'll be really good for them, as he's always been. And yeah, I think they will find other ways to be able to cover Hayward's absence. So I I don't know if I'm being overly cautious, but I feel like it might be just a tad too soon to say playoff Murray is a thing, nor do I necessarily want to promote it kind of like playoff rondo where a guy can just do nothing all season long and then all of a sudden oh it's the playoffs let me do something at the same time i have more faith in the duo of Jokic and murray than i do just about any of the other duos though i i think it should be noted that the celtics you know they could be a dark horse in this because who who knows what's going to happen in the east it can be incredibly volatile so we'll see but my money right now is on the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets have easily the best tops two just because they have Jokic. And I, I think Marty at his best could, you know, be a facsimile for a you know 10 to 15 sort of player. But I just think that the rest of that team is too flawed, especially defensively, to win a loaded Western conference. I mean, they'd have to beat some really, really good teams to get out of the West. Whereas I think the Celtics could get a little bit lucky with the draw and maybe face some weaker Eastern Conference teams and maybe catch the right Milwaukee or Philly team or some, a team like that that on a given night they could potentially beat. And they also have these multiple weapons to potentially, at least in theory, throw at the big three of Brooklyn, though I'd, I'd like to see it actually happen because they could have Marcus Smart guard Kyrie and they could have Jalen and Jason on the other two guys. But I, I, you know, I don't know if they'll actually win it all. But that's what I would pick for to be a team that would outperform what we've seen so far in this season. With that, I think that's going to be a good place to stop today. Definitely, it's going to be interesting to see how these teams sort of move forward, and let's see if they can turn it around. Again, want to thank Ubi again for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. And for everyone else, stay tuned for our future episodes. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. Peace out, guys. Take care, everyone.